1: We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field.
0: This is it, ladies and gentlemen.
1: The edge of time and space, where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the Event Horizon. Good morning, or afternoon. Or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow.
2: And I am your other host, Susan Fox.
1: And with us this evening is writer and game designer Neil Halford. Welcome to the show, Neil.
2: Thank
3: you so much. It's uh, uh, wonderful to be back with you, folks. Always enjoy hanging with you, folks, and talking about whatever uh, weird stuff is on on the slate. <laughs> yeah.
1: and it has been a uh, it has been a wild month uh, for a, for a lot of reasons. Uh, uh, of course, the the only thing you can see on Facebook these days is election, election, election.
2: We all have electile dysfunction right now, yeah. so let's talk about anything but the election, okay?
1: Yeah, it's like uh, uh the, being
2: haunted by it.
1: Yeah, we're yes, and it chase. it's it's like it it's you're not done running away from the axe murderer. It is now chasing you down the road.
0: And it's one of those
1: things. Uh another thing that's happened recently is uh uh uh, intellectual property rights uh in science fiction fandom are coming to the fore with the uh with the Axonar lawsuit and how that's all going and things are getting weird there. I,
3: I haven't heard the latest on that. What's 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 kind of going on with? It?
1: Well, um you know, they're, they've CBS and Paramount uh for for the listeners who haven't been following all this CBS and Paramount uh uh have sued uh Alec Peters um mm-hmm. who is the guy behind uh Axenar Prelude right. to Axenar was the the 20 minute uh teaser for the f- full length film that they they want to do called Axanar. and they've sued him saying oh well you've Appropriated Star Trek, and you violated uh, fifty-seven. They violated thousands of of elements out of Star Trek. You know, they've stolen mm-hmm. them and put them in, and then uh, they took them to court, and 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 uh, they made them itemize it, and it turned mm-hmm. out to be only fifty-seven, not thousands. Mm-hmm. So uh,
2: I think they're at the point of the judge saying, okay, if if this is going to harm your product. Prove it. How um, much money do you stand to lose? And right. th- there's no answer for that.
3: <laughs> well, I, I think I think the really tough thing, and and, and is going to be this goes back to fanzines long before we even started getting into fan films, mm-hmm. is that the, the standing rule always was is that if you don't sue everybody, then you can't sue anybody. Because the 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 problem, but it is, is that you you start to say, okay, on what basis are you uh, are you suing one individual for copyright infringement? Uh, I mean, granted, you can make the argument, well, you know, with the Axonar folks, they're making they were making money. They started their own business. They got their own studio, and so yes, there is definitely a financial issue there. But but when it comes to p- uh, pure issues of copyright infringement, they are no more guilty of it uh, than than other uh, fan productions have been.
1: Well, that's that's my opinion too, and uh, it's
2: no, they they went for the big the deepest pockets.
1: Well, yeah, yes, the they of went them for don't the... have yeah. any money. <laughs> yeah, but but, the, but uh, the, the Axanar people, you know, yes, they have a studio, but mm. th- what they did is they leased a building because it was cheaper than, than uh, renting out somebody else's space to put their sets in. Sure. It's actually cheaper for them to lease the entire building than to, to rent out studio space. So they did mm. that. Because it made fiscal sense, and they can put uh, put more money into the actual productions.
2: Yeah, well, their production mm. has been, you know, dead in the water, while other productions have had uh, varying uh, responses. Um, Star Trek continues, continued, continued, and, <laughs> and <laughs> they're still and they're still yeah. making episodes. And okay, fine, sue us. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. see what happens. But and well, I, uh, renegades just filed the the serial numbers off and are telling the same story without actually saying it's Star Trek.
3: <laughs> Which I, I, on the on the one hand, I actually have to say is that I'm kind of happy that they're doing that uh, doing that with renegades, uh, simply because uh, you know uh, another former guest that you've had on the show before, Jimmy Diggs uh, and mm-hmm. I. Uh, Jimmy and I are, are are good buds, and of course we 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 co pitched uh, Star Trek Enterprise together. Right, <laughs> and um, uh, you know, Jimmy and I over the years have kind of talked about the issue of saying, that, I can't remember which which big science fiction author it was, but they was they were at a convention one time, and the discussion came up. I think actually about Star Wars, and somebody was asking them about you know writing Star Trek in novelizations for Star Wars or whatever, and. Uh, this author was basically saying, well, there's no harm in writing uh, writing a Star Wars novel. If you want to write a Star Wars novel, uh, that's fine. But the one thing that at the end of the day you have to remember is that once you write that novel and you, uh, you've you sold it to the, the book company, it's no longer yours. And yeah. uh, you you have basically bought into that sandbox, and so whatever you've created goes out in the universe and, and, and other people get to play with it. And you're not going to be able to profit off of that beyond whatever your initial, uh, whatever you you got paid to to write that novel. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, uh, my kind of own take is if uh, uh, with all of the talent and all of the sort of, uh, uh, you know, the creative ability you have about writing a big science fiction epic or what have you, says, do you really want to spend a whole lot of time, uh, you know, If if I'm going to go out and create a fan film for the crazy amount of work that it is to create one of those fan films, why don't you take that same energy and creativity and create something of your own so that whenever you're done, you said, you know what? I can do anything I want with this. I can sell this. I can turn. I can write novels based on this. I can Mm -hmm. do all this other stuff Said, if you're going to put all that energy into it. Uh, why not do something that, at the end of the day, is yours?
2: Because uh, it becomes a marketing issue at that point. I, you know the the Star Trek novels were you know just pinging number one on the New York Times bestseller list, no matter who wrote it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and that's, but who's and, going and to pick up my book? Right, my mom. Right.
3: Yeah, yeah and, and and that's very true. And I and the thing about it is, I know that a lot of people. Uh, uh, being the fact that I've sort of on the periphery of, of, of several people who uh, have have worked on these different productions, um, you know I, I know that a lot of them the big rationale was I do a fan film so that way people get to know me and then I can go on from there and build my own stuff uh, and it's because now it's brand awareness. Indeed, know, so indeed.
2: I, there you go.
1: You're and you're you're starting off with somebody else's brand and you you might not get to keep. The pieces, you know, when you're done, but you can you can definitely build brand awareness for yourself by hitching a ride on somebody else's. Yes,
3: yeah, and and Mark Zickery I think certainly kind of proved that because he, I I think that he he created uh, it be it's arguable about whether it was been the best Star Trek fan film, but I think it's, it was was certainly a standout, and mm-hmm. I definitely think it gave him the. Uh, ability to to then turn around and do space command oh, yeah. um, oh yes
1: oh yes and i want so,
3: that
2: course, i want that to succeed so bad
3: <laughs> yeah yeah and i i think that 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 was kind of a case of course i mean mark had certainly it's not like mark came up from from just having to doing fan films i mean obviously he he had worked on legit trek he'd worked on on some other things before that, so it's not like uh, he's just a Joe Blow random person anyway. He, so he was
1: the guy that saved Sliders. You know, it was dying on broadcast television, and he took it to Sci Fi Channel and, mm-hmm. and completely rebuilt it, and it ran for what, three more seasons after that?
3: Yeah, something like that.
1: So, something extraordinary, and it, it became more popular than it had ever been on broadcast mm-hmm. television.
3: Mm hmm. But um, so it's you know it's uh, in his particular case I I don't know if the argument is is as large that this was sort of the catapult to him but but I mean that said is is um, uh, I, think I think for all the people that have been kind of involved with uh, with those I think if if the bare minimum all of them came out with an experience of having you know they worked on something lots of people saw that thing and they can turn around and say look I worked on on X Y and Z. Uh, I cer- I certainly think that that you look at all the guys who did special effects I mean you know, uh Pony and 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 all of those guys uh mm-hmm. have become sort of known for their special effects because of those and so um and I and, and, and of course all of the things that I said before or what have you that's not in any way shape or form a slam against those guys I mm-hmm. I, I have nothing but love for all of those programs, and, and I, I faithfully watch every single, you know, new voyages and 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 continues and all other stuff. Whenever there's a new episode, I'm there.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
3: so um, you know, anything that 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 continues the voyage, and um, um, so I'm, I have, I have great hopes for discovery. Um, I don't uh, I'm a little bit concerned obviously with Brian Singers uh not singer but uh Brian Fullers departure.
1: Yeah. Honestly. I mean he I think as I understand it he left because uh uh he kind of got a better offer.
3: Uh uh-huh. you
1: know I but, I don't know I don't know the full story but I do know that that uh uh that he was he wouldn't have been looking for that better offer if if uh, paramount uh, or, uh, if if paramount cbs i don't know who the, who the i guess it's cbs if cbs had been not tinkering uh with his concepts the uh-huh. entire time I, they were
2: they must be must have been micromanaging him to death
1: yeah I think that's what it was. They were trying to micromanage the concept and didn't really understand what he was doing. Mm-hmm.
3: I, and that uh, I, I have to say is his leaving the show uh, really does worry me uh, because given the fact that here was a legit connection with, you know, formal official Star mm-hmm. Trek from before and having him kind of, uh, you know, you know, wanting to go uh, elsewhere uh that that does bother me a little bit. I mean there there's still some o- other awesome people that are involved with the show. Uh, obviously I you know like I'm sure both of you were I was really excited to find out whenever Nicholas Meyer signed on and he was going to be part of the writers room. I mean that's fantastic news as as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um uh but it it, it does worry me that whenever the the guy who's on top of the heap who is is carrying the flag is a you know was a hardcore definitely entrenched with prime universe that guy when that guy goes away uh, then i start to get nervous
1: yeah me too and the other thing that makes me a little crazy mm. is that uh, they're distributing this they're trying to they're, well, they're doing what,
2: they're, well they're doing what they did with next generation they're launching their next platform with it Mm-hmm. And it was uh, the UPN network. This was that uh, Next Gen was the when eager. they did Voyager. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and so the, I and of course the whole new platform thing. You know, I, I'm I feel like I, I it makes me nervous that that they're making taking the approach that they're going to take it because I haven't seen scads of other stuff that that's going to be on that network that really makes me say I want to spend. X amount of money just to get the show,
1: right?
2: (laughs) Especially since it'll be on, you know, uh, uh, BitTorrents ten minutes after it's over, too. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's and it's only going to be uh, restricted in the United States uh, on on the CBS Live or whatever they call the thing, Mm. and it's going to be available on Netflix everywhere else. It's like you know, guys. So
2: we'll have our friends in England do you send us Star Trek when they send us, yeah. a, our Doctor Who. Which. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. guys,
1: guys. Do you even internet? Yeah. Seriously, do you not know how this works? Because the rest of the the uh, the connected universe is one mouse click away, and that's all it's going to take. You, nobody's going to go in and pay for that. This, mm. this is
3: ridiculous. Not, not for one shop
1: not not for one show and the and the rest of their lineup isn't strong enough to draw uh to draw an audience
2: well we don't know what the rest of their lineup is so well you, you know
1: it's uh
2: do do you' Cause i don't
1: well
3: there uh, there've been a couple of the shows that they mentioned, but i
1: they didn't. had supergirl and they blew it
3: they had supergirl
1: yeah that transferred supergirl to... was
2: on cbs oh that's right supergirl that's right. started
1: out yeah. on cbs and now it's on the cw which is
2: makes right. more sense actually it does their,
1: their...
3: it's totally it, it's i actually i was really happy whenever they did that because i said it belongs there with the rest of the superhero mm-hmm. shows um so uh I, I was i actually saw that as a positive thing is allowing them to say now we can integrate with the other shows
1: right exactly and uh uh I think it not only uh, CBS is doing this, but Disney wants to start their own exclusive content channel and Sony wants to start their own. Lionsgate wants to start their own, as I understand it. Uh, It's like every major distributor wants to start their own streaming service, not understanding how this works. You know, they're trying to replicate the success that they had uh, uh, by... Uh, owning their own theater chains, with owning their own streaming chains, it doesn't work that way anymore.
2: Not unless you could pay by the film, you know. I, yeah, if I, you know, I if I go to a Lowe's, you know, movie house, I that doesn't mean I I've paid for the month. I I pay by the movie.
1: Uh-huh. Exa- exactly. It, yeah, the market does not work that way, and. Uh, all they're going to do is they're going they're going to fragment the whole thing and they're going to find out that uh, they are not going to be the next Netflix because Netflix got their stuff from everybody. Uh, yeah. So as soon as they start pulling their stuff out and putting the, putting it on their own channel, they're going to find that all their all their viewers go away you know, or, yeah, you know, or they'll have very, very few. I don't
3: see any future in in that at all. I I, I don't see see how uh, you you say well we have this great catalog we have all this amazing stuff. You go, yes you do, but uh, I want to go to Netflix and pay one price and then I get everything rather than having because whenever I start adding up what it would cost for me to subscribe to get all you know all of Warner all of Paramount all of Sony all of blah, 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 blah you know fill whatever says it's ridiculous. I'm going to spend. A hundred dollars just for four or five channels, Mm -hmm. you know, and and why on God's earth would would I do that? I mean, it's just like what's the you say the whole idea behind cord cutting was the fact that I'm going to I'm going to get on the Internet and I I get I I get Netflix and I can get everything that I want through one uh, outlet. Uh, and I think that in the in the long run, it says by trying to have a hundred percent of everything, you're going to have have or you know uh, you're going to have zero percent of everything. <laughs> um,
1: Something like uh, that. It's, that didn't quite work, but but I get the yeah, idea. So,
3: well, uh, what I'm saying is that it's an all you know it's all or nothing kind of situation.
2: When it, when it's all or nothing, the even odds are that you'll get nothing. So
1: yeah. Yeah, and it, it's, uh, it, the intellectual property rights, you know, the whole, this whole compartmentalization of things, yeah. uh, I think is, is, is wearing down the entire creative industry. And oh, it's yeah. the, it, things are getting too compartmentalized. Uh, the, uh, everybody's paying more attention to property rights than they are to making new stuff. Mm-hmm. A- and, uh, s- every it's like everybody want there's a couple of sayings in hollywood one of them is everybody wants to be first to be second cuz nobody <laughs> wants to take a chance on making anything new yes and then the other thing is that uh uh they don't make movies in hollywood they make deals mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. fact that a television show or a movie is the outcome of that deal is almost secondary anymore uh, and witness, uh, for example, um, uh, the Ghost in the Shell on the casting of uh, Scarlett Johansson in the lead role. Mm-hmm.
3: Now, yeah,
1: there's a there's a hot button issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whitewashing of uh, of, popular, of a
2: Japanese property
1: of a uh, of a Japanese property. It should have been a Japanese actress, in my opinion. There's mm-hmm. no there's no reason it couldn't have been.
3: Yeah, I, uh, unfortunately, there's, there's lots of that stuff going on. And of course, has been going on for a very long time. This isn't actually anything new. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, cause I mean, we go back to Charlie Chan and, exactly. and stuff. stuff. It says, okay, yeah. you, uh, or oh, oh, God help us, uh, John Wayne playing Kublai or Genghis Khan. Oh my yes. God. <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> Oh my god, that Shaking was horrible. Taking
2: my head sadly. And,
3: uh, was it, um, uh, um,
2: Peter Laurie as, as, uh, Charlie Chan and,
3: and Rooney was, was in a Chinese guy and something, and I can't remember now what it was. Good heavens. Uh, but it was, it was horrible. Um, but, but anyway, I, I think that, that, you know, you, uh that if you have a, a part that's is, that is explicitly supposed to be a particular race i mean there's there's the argument that you know anybody you know uh the hard part from if if you are uh a, a minority uh is saying that well i should have an equal shot at this race because why is this why does this particular uh role have to be black white blue you know what mm-hmm. have well, you well but
2: sometimes that's part of the plot
1: right <laughs> You know, like in in the case specifically of Ghost in the Shell, uh, the major I can't it, I can't remember the Japanese name, but she goes by the major. Uh, one of the core principles of that drives that character is the feeling of being disconnected from the world around her that everybody has shares in something that she can't share in. And uh-huh. this concept is so Japanese. I mean, uh-huh. it is. That is one of the defining things about the Japanese culture: is their their sense of isolation, even when they're among surrounded uh, by people, surrounded by throngs of people. They still feel isolated, and they even have special words for that uh-huh. uh, in their culture well, that we don't well, have.
3: It's – yeah, it's the – because they, they have that – that you know like you said, you have people that the, the population density is so high, you need to basically learn – need to be able to learn how to kind of live within sort of your own skin uh, because you're so surrounded by other people, you're kind of drowned out. And so you need to have kind of this very rich kind of private interior life. And yes, and you're right. It's a very Japanese kind of concept.
2: Mm-hmm. So, do they cast a white girl to make her look look more distinctive from no? Or is, they, it, or they, they is cast, it a white cast? You
3: know, Johansson because she's got uh, star power, and they know who she is.
1: Well, and uh, there's a little bit of a conceit in there as well, in that the uh, the character uh, in the manga and in the uh, in the animated feature uh, is depicted as white-ish. You know, Uh she doesn't have a Japanese nose. She has a a Caucasian nose. And this is, uh, Caucasian features are considered exotic in Japanese uh, culture. Mm -hmm. So they did that. and, uh, And that sort of opened the door for Scarlett Johansson to be able to play this character. And that and the other conceit is that uh, the major is a full-body prosthesis. She uses a full-body prosthesis. Mm-hmm. So she could look like anything, you know. So yeah. there, there you go. It's just like uh, in Doctor Strange we just saw um, last weekend. And uh, one of the characters in it, the ancient one. Mm-hmm. It's Tilda well, Swenson. Yeah, Tilda that Swinson. was a s- yeah.
2: storm of annoyance and... and- resentment, wasn't it? <laughs>
1: well, in the comic books, the ancient one was of Asian descent.
2: It is Tibetan, and that Tibet- was yes. the problem. You see, they want to sell a billion tickets to the Chinese, so Tibet can't be part of it.
1: Right. right. Why they so, couldn't
2: make them from Nepal or mm-hmm. anywhere else, I don't know.
1: And, and so, uh, in the movie, the ancient one is Celtic. Very,
2: very specifically, why they said Celtic, nobody... That's Celtic isn't isn't a people.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's well, a people, but but it's but a they tribe. Th- they but, but think about
3: it. Yeah, Celtic is yeah, You know, Celt. You know, the, the Celts. We 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 think about them being you know. We think yeah. of shamrocks and dancing around and and all of this kind of stuff, but the Celts, you know, had everything from Ireland over to Germany. You know, so
1: yeah, um, yeah.
2: Well, maybe uh, back she's so old that those distinctions didn't exist back then.
3: Very true.
1: Yeah, but uh, uh, so so they used they sort of cheated their way around the problem. I think she and was
2: I, she was good though.
1: Yeah, she she mm-hmm. was good, but um,
3: they, well, and the, you do get into the the politics of selling your
1: films. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, and, and, and
3: so. If I'm going to spend X number of you know millions or billions of dollars making making the movie, I mean I understand sort of where the studio is coming from Mm -hmm. uh, in 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 that regard. But uh, (laughs) you say if you were to sidestep and say, okay, I'm going to change what whatever you know wherever they're from, then you could cast somebody of you know that race. So make them. You know, if, if you want to make them Chinese or or whatever, oh, I mean, sure. it's going to yeah. offend the 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 comic book purist, and then still uh, go and find a Chinese national to play it. If you're really that worried about it, I I, I don't I somehow doubt that the Tibetan uh,
1: audience is going to be much. Uh, right, they're not going to have a lot to say about it.
3: <laughs> yes, like, we're really concerned about the Tibetan audience. Um, uh, um, not
1: exactly what you call a profit center for cinema. No, no, not but exactly, really. No,
2: but the People's Republic of China certainly is.
1: Yes. And now so. I had
2: I had a, a gambit to sell a billion tickets in India for um Star Trek into darkness, you know. Oh, the the really? Wrath of Khan only not. Instead of getting the the English speaking flavor of the month, go back to uh India and pick one of the major Bollywood stars, so they've got a couple of hot hunks, some oh. of whom are even named Khan
1: oh absolutely' <laughs> uh, Khan it's just
2: like, you've got someone named Khan and
3: we 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 know I mean the first time around at least with Ricardo montabon, there's some kind of tinge of 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 yeah not he was like a, a
2: universal Khan. ethnic wasn't he yeah yeah
3: I mean he, <laughs> uh, yeah, he played everything over the years, but at least it wasn't a you know a white guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know exactly, um yeah. Uh, but then we we just so you know yeah that was just one of many sins and there's there's absolutely no reason why they had to do what they did with that but you know well, I and also I, the
2: well also the Botany <laughs> Bay the uh, the Khan was not alone on on his his spaceship there in in deep sleep there were seventy other people he could have been one of the other ones yeah
3: absolutely oh and I mean just
2: – there's any the, the number the litany of ways of
3: sins with with into darkness I could. I could literally go all day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, and it's so frustrating, you know, because you have all of this, these safe choices mm. driving so much of the motion picture industry. And then you, you, they turn around and they say, oh my God, you're doing something radical or unusual. And we are now going to nail your feet to the floor. Mm-hmm. And set your hair on fire for doing it and uh uh and you then have you wind to juggle
2: up f- uh seven seven oranges and a chainsaw with one foot in a bucket and uh both hands yeah. tied behind your back
1: yeah and it's so you get things like the new uh the new fan film guidelines handed down from c b s which say state uh, uh okay, no more series
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the longest. Fan film you're allowed to make is 15 minutes. Yes, and you can only make two of those, and then you're mm. done. Mm-hmm. I think Forever. everyone has
2: decided to ignore those because they're ridiculous.
1: Yeah, that's 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 what I've been noticing. I mean, uh, Star Trek Continues has obviously, uh, obviously broken that edict already. You know, but, uh, they the uh, the CBS well, bio the CBS uh, guidelines came out, and then. Uh, uh, Star Trek Continues just kept going and produced their next episode.
2: And, you know, nothing happened
1: to them. And nothing happened. Well, there was
3: actually a small out for them uh, because part of it has to do with they said that you're allowed to complete anything you've already raised funds for.
1: And they haven't they haven't shown uh, shown any signs of, of stopping.
2: Yeah, they still got a Kickstarter going on, haven't they? Yeah, mm-hmm. they've got
1: a they've got another <laughs> Kickstarter going on. You know, they're not they're not stopping at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, some a lot of the other fan productions did shut down because you know they're like a couple of guys in a room or whatever, yeah. and they're sc- scared that they're and justifiably scared that they're going to get squashed. Yeah, uh, but, but you well, know.
3: I know that back home in in. Um in Oklahoma City they have uh, a bridge uh that they have been shooting uh some of the other ones like the Farragut and some of the other series that were shooting there in Oklahoma City. Uh they are just this weekend moving their bridge and I don't know what the mm. uh if there's gonna be any more productions after after that, but they had they were they were one of the other locations of the bridges because there's the one that was down there on uh the border between Georgia and and Florida, where Continue shot uh, mm-hmm. the one the one in Oklahoma City, and then obviously Collie's outfit, uh, which is now uh, Collie was uh, was kind of smart. He said, you know, we have got a set, and so well, let's turn this into a licensed tour, uh, so you can come and tour the the official set. And so uh, that's sort of he he kind of turned that into a money making problem. But it, it's actually a licensed deal through Paramount.
2: Oh well, that's, that's all right then.
3: That's
1: pretty clever.
3: And James so, so that's a, sort of how he kind of turned it around. And I thought yeah. that was smart because uh, and also, too, you know, Kali uh, had the the blueprints directly from Paramount for what the sets were. So that's always kind of been his his big thing is saying our stuff is more screen accurate than anybody else out there. And apparently Paramount agreed. Um, and so so he now has a, a license so that people can come through and and tour the sets there. And so, at least I saw I saw that as a positive, kind of a positive outcome of all this other stuff. Because now, you know, uh, James can you know he you know really when it comes to Star Trek fan films and sort of the sort of modern rebirth of them, and uh, all of us knowing about it was really James you know uh, doing New Voyages that kind of got on everybody's radar back whenever Enterprise was you know on the way out. and so I'm actually kind of glad that James now is as has managed to turn that into uh, into a business, and and I'm, I hope that uh, it does well for him. I know that that they've uh, he's had some of the you know uh, official Trek people in there, and and uh, I know that Doug Drexler uh, went through. Oh, I think it was last month or something. He was there for for an event mm-hmm. uh, to kind of help uh, got, have a guided tour of, of that set and everything. So. Um, uh, I I I wish uh, uh, James all uh, a great uh, success with that because I, I think that we uh, all owe James a lot because really he's really the one that broke the ground for a lot of us and you know James uh, w- what he did with New Voyages is actually uh, what gave Jane and I the courage to do some of our filmmaking stuff. That's so, interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I uh, after. We saw we saw the first couple of episodes of New Voyages, and of course this is this is before they they even sort of rebooted themselves. Course they, they did that a few times, but, but in their their initial run of New Voyages, they had the first episode which you net you don't see anywhere anymore. They buried that one. Uh, <laughs> I know um, the feeling. But uh, but we saw that episode, and there's the next one, one. And the thing that just struck me is you see that how much of the sets that they had replicated, and they'd done this other stuff, and and. Even the, though the that uh, the acting and the script weren't quite you know uh, quite there yet, uh, they hadn't brought on some of the other you know professionals you know uh, from the show who who now uh, are had been helping them out. Um, but even though those those elements were there, I said you know I'm really impressed by what they are doing on their own, and I, I see something that looks like Trek that feels like Trek to me. Um, and I said, you know, if they can do, if they can do that, uh, then I ought to be able to make something that isn't nearly as anywhere, nearly as crazily ambitious as that. Um, mm-hmm. a, a little kind of a funny little side story of, of, you know, uh, uh, three degrees of separation <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with various geeks. Uh, so, uh, one time, uh, whenever, uh, uh, Jimmy Diggs and I had gone up to meet with James Colley about possibly having uh, one of the episodes that we had pitched Enterprise be on on uh, New Voyages. And originally there was uh, – it was agreed we were going to do this, and, and it sort of fell apart but but for, for other reasons. But that's um, another here and there. Uh, so we had gone up to meet with him, and so uh, where we met with him was at Ludovico. At the time was Robert Myers Burnett's uh, – uh, outfit there in uh, in Hollywood, and so uh, so we were sitting around and we're talking and stuff, uh, and so James and Jimmy and Robert decided to get into a uh, uh, a contest to basically decide who was the biggest geek. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, who who is the biggest Star Trek geek? And so they're going around and laying down the cards about you know what what their qualifications was for for being the biggest Star Trek geek. And so you know Jimmy saying, well I wrote you know episodes, and and he was showing off that he had uh, uh, you know uh, his ringtone on his phone was uh, was something. And I can't, uh, and of course you know Robert Myers Burnett said, well you know all the, the Blu-rays and DVDs, I'm doing all of the the special uh, stuff all of the. Uh, um, all the interviews and stuff because robert edited a lot of those and uh and so i said okay i'm going to have to step step in here and say james built the the bridge of the enterprise in uh in a old car dealership in in the middle of nowhere i
1: think he wins (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe yeah kind of so um so we have this new series coming out from CBS, Yes. and nobody knows really what's in the box.
2: They've got. They've named it after the, the spaceship in two thousand one.
1: And they've <laughs> given which, which it. Which is also the Discovery. The, as they've I given it initials that sound like a venereal disease. STD. Yes. <laughs> uh oh. Why
3: didn't they think about that? Cuz they know that that's how we refer to the different Star Trek series.
1: It's always TOS or TNG or or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I
2: think that's that may get changed.
1: Yeah, I'm Yeah, <laughs> yeah sometimes it's you like observations you know guys, what are you things, thinking? Though. You know, hello mm-hmm. CBS, if you're listening, what are you thinking? You know, it's like it's like the the uh uh the, the movie, You remember Yogi the Bear? Yogi Bear the Yogi Bear mm-hmm. movie. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yogi, Yogi and Boo Boo, and and uh, uh, the 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 one sheets were Boo Boo in the foreground. You know, they're both facing the camera, and Boo Boo's in front, and Yogi's standing behind him. But the caption reads, "Good things come in bears," and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. nobody in the PR department has thought this through.
3: No. Or they did no. it on
1: purpose. Or they did it either either that or they did it on purpose and they're bloody brilliant. Uh-huh. But I, I rather tend towards the prior than the latter. And then within a week, somebody put one of those sexual fetish masks on Yogi behind the, oh. get the poster and then re-released the poster as it was except with Yogi in one of these sexual fetish masks. And suddenly Ew. that phrase takes on a whole new meaning. And, <laughs> and Mr.
2: Ranger's not going to like this.
1: <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, oh my God, you idiots, you idiots you know <laughs> and and they immediate the reason i think that it was uh it was a screw up is immediately after that started making the mounts they pulled the, the original poster and that was gone i mean from everything they took it out of the electronic press kits everything it was gone uh-huh. so uh
2: movie did okay though
1: uh no i didn't it actually mm-hmm. lost 40 million bucks oh dear. Yeah, that's so. too
2: bad because I think that Boo Boo Bear is is the part that Justin Timberlake was born to play. That is the <laughs> apex of his career. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, uh, just the 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 bigger and more expansive these deals get, you know, like the oh, let's chart out our 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 box office successes for the next 16 years. No, guys, that's not how this works.
2: Yeah, no. well it is now.
1: Yeah, I guess it is now. You know, we're spoon-fed whatever they want to feed us, but
2: Yeah, the Marvel universe is all programmed out for you. Not one of them well, is going to well, lose. At least
3: them. they have the the they have the one saving grace of they aren't remakes. <laughs>
2: okay,
3: um, yeah, I suppose I suppose
1: you're right. I suppose uh,
3: but uh, of course, the, the of course, the, I guess if you're a comic book fan, you go, well, they are because they're just remaking the plot lines of all of the, you know, of all the all comic books. Because all
1: the, yeah, they they've worked out the plots already because they're in the comic books, and yeah. uh, we're just, I I think part of the appeal of the 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 comic book movies is that we're being told our favorite, uh,
0: told
1: bed, our
2: favorite bedtime stories, bedtime stories. But if I see Spider-Man's origin one more time, I'm gonna throttle somebody. Mm. we know yeah I'm uh, though I I have to say
3: uh, I I am just giddy crazy excited about seeing Wonder Woman
1: oh Oh, god yes Oh, wow. Uh, that
2: was the whole saving grace of Batman versus Superman, man. That was the best uh, Wonder the Woman best. trailer ever. She was, yes. Yeah, well,
3: <laughs> that, oh, yeah. It, it, and, of course, whenever I said, you know, I was talking to people about the film, it said Batman
1: versus Superman. Who won? Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> and, uh, and,
1: and they put a woman in in as director for that film. And I think that was a brilliant idea. Patty Jenkins obviously has a very clear handle on this movie. And every scrap of footage I have seen uh, shows that this film is going to be absolutely magnificent.
2: Setting it, resetting it in World War One instead of World War Two is an interesting choice. A little weird. It's it's well, it's weird from you know the comic book authenticity standpoint, but on the other hand, it does distinguish it from Captain America. Yeah. So no one's going to say, "Oh, it's just a Captain America knockoff." No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's not.
3: Though so I kind of do want to see a Captain, you know, a Captain Rogers Wonder Woman team up, but even though we'll never see that. <laughs> no.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um. Uh, uh, but uh, Captain Rogers, Captain America, um, but um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I have to say that was one thing that that whenever I saw first, whenever whenever I saw the movie, that made me really excited because the rest of Batman versus Superman, I, I, I again it was the
2: so they've been wrong off with track the since,
3: since super, you know, Man of Steel, you know. It it, debi- that you know I,
2: coming from Man of Steel? That's really the best they could have done, you know. Yeah, you know,
1: with that as a setup. You know, yeah, so I, you know that that uh, that song from the Lego from the Lego Movie, where at the end Batman is singing, "I wrote a song about myself, death, dead parents, <laughs> darkness." Yeah, you know, it's he's like getting that. getting his
2: own. He's getting his own Lego Movie, Batman.
1: He is, and it <laughs> looks hysterically funny. And they've written Robin as this complete boob. <laughs> it's like, oh, these pants are giving me a wedgie. Here we go, rip! There mm. we go, freedom! <laughs> and Batman says, "I can only look you in the eyes right now."
2: <laughs> and our, our buddy Bert probably does not approve.
3: Have either of you seen the new animated thing? I I
1: haven't. Um, the
2: Batman nineteen sixty six one. Yes, oh, it was delightful. The,
1: the Susan has, I have not.
2: Oh, it was fun. Good. Because um, okay, I. I, I was... Adam West does sound elderly, and I'm sorry to say. The the others sounded pretty good. And, you know, Julie Newmore, our Lord Lover, she, you know, may she keep being Catwoman forever. Mm hmm. hmm. And uh, the, the younger people doing the, the other villains. Just picture perfect. I was particularly impressed with Wally Wingert as the Riddler. He just got the little whoo-hoo-hoo laugh. Great. Just dead on. and My little five-year-old back brain just giggled in in delight.
1: Wally Wingert (laughs) is is quite the geek himself. He's got this huge collection of memorabilia. Uh, He lives right out here in Studio City. And we were invited to go – Go interview him at, at his place. and We well, haven't, we we haven't taken him up on it yet. Yet. But we will.
3: Well, that sounds like it'll be a fun inter- interview.
2: It will.
1: Yeah, I think we need to take a video crew with <laughs> yeah, us when I we go, though. So. Because, you know, doing it on radio is kind of pointless. <laughs> well, I just look at this lovely statuette here. Oh, the one that you can't see. Uh- <laughs> yeah, so get, you know, get ready with a giant maraschino cherry to drop <laughs> into the... Five hundred thousand <laughs> gallons of whipped cream we just poured into Lake Erie. No, <laughs> you know, I mean it's it's on yes. that level. Do that if you're on, on radio. television? Yeah, you can't. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, it's it's. Uh, I, I I like I like what uh, Warner Brothers Animation is doing uh, because they get to sort of step outside the, the circle. And do original stuff that could never be done on the big screen otherwise. So that's kind of fun. It, you know, it's 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 a little bit of freedom. And it's a, it's a break from the monotony of, of uh, headline stars, cast in roles they probably shouldn't be in. Uh, and
2: squeezing out the honest voice actors who are trying to make a living.
1: You know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah so what are you what are you working on now what's what's the what's the next thing you're you're doing you're working the on the next
3: next thing i'm doing um so um currently i have a, a little project that I've been kind of working on and off and so uh we we of course are, are immersed in the Nanimo, Rimo, however you want to say mm-hmm. that uh uh, uh yes the the anrimo Na- <laughs> nano nano <laughs> the
2: Nan- national the national <laughs> novel writing month yes national
3: novel writing month
1: which is so, which is the month of november
3: with the month of november which you know uh i i currently am actually tied up at the moment uh i'm doing uh world building and that kind of stuff for a company called Nexon mm-hmm. um and so I can't really tell you about what's going on with that, but because of that, uh, my uh, my slate is officially very full at the moment. So I, I realized, well, I can't write a novel this month because I'm I'm otherwise occupied, and also too nobody wants to read a novel I would write in a month anyway. Uh, uh, just because I am slow and, and meticulous, and I re I I have this terrible uh, habit of whenever I write is that uh, my first draft is usually the final draft. Okay. Uh, because, you've, you've, because you really I, chew
2: it over before you put it out I, out of your fingers onto a keyboard. Yeah, I mean, it's just like
3: I I am the the slowest writer on the first draft. But the beautiful thing about it is, is usually most people, whenever they look at my stuff, is that that other than maybe for some very small things of there's a comma in the wrong place or whatever, it's usually done. Whenever I hand it to people, mm-hmm. uh, okay. and it's the obsessive way that I write. Um, I I can't let go of a paragraph until it's perfect. Um, uh which annoys people greatly uh, but uh anyway so uh the uh, writing a novel was certainly not going to be uh, something I could do this month and so what I decided I was going to do instead is I've had a collection of short stories kind of parked on the sidelines for just ages and ages and ages uh, that i've I've been wanting to write uh, that are about my uh, kind of about my hometown yeah the, the original idea had started off with... Uh, I had talked to someone in my, the local historical society from the, the the town that I grew up in, which is Sand Springs, which is just outside of Tulsa. And I talked to them about, uh, you know. Do you have the little collections of of kind of local folk stories that, uh, you know, a lot of times you you go to a little small town and you go to the gas station and they've got, you know, something with with 30 or 40 pages. And here's the here are local folk tales and ghost stories and all that kind of stuff. And so Mm -hmm. whenever I I went to them and talked to them about that, they said, well, you know, Neil, we don't have anything like that. So I guess you're going to have to write it.
0: (laughs) And and,
3: and so I said, challenge accepted. (laughs) <laughs> I said, Challenge accepted it. And, and so, whenever I was, or whenever I started thinking about this stuff, uh, I was talking to friends about legends, what have they heard whenever they're growing up. And when it, what I started hearing was, well, you know, there's a, a, a folk legend called the Bulldog Man. And so, when you say, okay, tell me what you know about the Bulldog Man. And it all kind of boils down to one time, you know, I think we saw the Bulldog Man. Yeah. and it it fell into the category of not ghost stories. I call them ghost anecdotes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's not really there's not nar- really a narrative there. You know, it's just like there's there's a ghost or there's a thing and it's there and I saw it once and that's really sort of the extent of of uh, a lot of of these kind of tales. So I just said, "Okay, I'm going to take the little fragments of these different characters and these different things that are going on in my my hometown mm-hmm. and I want to write them up as actual you know, st- uh, stories, beginning, middle, and uh, end. So imagine, basically, Stephen K- uh, Stephen King steps in and decides to write your local hometown folk stories, uh, mm. horror stories. Um, and so that's sort of been my approach to it. So the so the first one uh, I'm working on the first short story from that collection called The Tome, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and which uh, kind of revolves around uh, uh, a, a our. Local library, uh, which was there, and our, our my hometown has kind of an interesting history in as much as the it was founded by a fellow by the name of Charles Page, and Charles Page was, uh, of course, Tulsa being back in the 20s and 30s was you know the oil capital of the world. And it there was all of this insane amount of wealth flowing around uh, the Tulsa area, and Charles Page was one of those uh, those people up there with J. Paul Getty and all these other people who had mm-hmm. headquarters there in Tulsa. So uh, Charles Page decided to go just out out west of Tulsa and build this town, and he'd grown up as an orphan. And so he decided that the first thing he wanted to do was build an orphanage. So he builds this orphanage, though he, he's, he was called the home and, and not the orphanage, and it was structured in a slightly different way than, than most orphanages, uh, which basically if they, if they never were able to find some place for, for you to go, you still were going to live there. They weren't going to just turn you out or, or what have you. Uh, so he built this orphanage, and the whole town was basically built as a life support system for this orphanage. Um, and so, uh, so there was a steel mill. There was a railroad. There's all this other stuff that was all built basically that he. The, it was a planned community, all whose purpose was to support the orphanage. Um, and so, one of the many things that, that were, were built was this this library in downtown Sand Springs. And of course, because he was a, a a oil magnate, and this was during the 20s and 30s, our local library is this Art Deco temple <laughs> uh, that <laughs> wow uh, uh, and so uh and that's one of the beautiful things i actually love to tell people about tulsa because you have all these ideas about what what tulsa what oklahoma is and everything else and i said I, I invite you to co- come down to downtown tulsa because some of the most magnificent examples of art de- uh, deco deck uh architecture are in downtown tulsa uh just um, because these these again j paul getty's headquarters was in tulsa uh, um, and for a lot, for the bet, brief flash of the pan between the the 20s and, the, and about the 40s, uh, there was an incredible amount of wealth that was there. And so they were really trying to make the run to replace Chicago. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, so my little, my little hometown was again, sort of an offshoot of what was going on with, with Tulsa. And so again, we have this magnificent thing that, Uh, It's this beautiful-looking building, but it also looks kind of like a mausoleum (laughs) Uh, Uh because it's got these marble floors, uh, and you go inside, and you go through these huge iron doors, and the first thing you look at whenever you go in these iron doors is these – there's these two uh, staircases that actually go up to the main level, and the first thing you're looking at is this kind of small, dark door like you walked into a mausoleum. Uh, and, and all that is, is like, uh, function rooms and other stuff back there, but, but my first impression as a child, when I went into that place, it was terrifying. Um, but I, but the flip side of the coin is being the little ghoul that I was, I love this place. Mm.
2: Um,
3: and so that was the first story i decided I, that i had to write because this is the heart of 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 my hometown and so uh that's the first story i'm going to write and so ultimately uh, i want to get around to all the various different you know uh, uh characters my my high school uh has a haunted auditorium uh a, a fellow by the name of of mr green and um and we we know for a fact that there was a gentleman that died during the construction of of the auditorium up there and so uh, so there have been stories about him, uh, that have been told for ages and ages about, about him. And, uh, uh, and my, my big idea is trying to find an original spin on some of these stories, uh, that you haven't seen before, uh, or at least just kind of get, put some meat on the bones and say, give me something that, that tells me more of, We yeah, I saw a ghost once. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs>
1: um, and that uh, sounds the- like something, uh. Uh, we know a guy named Ray Palmer who runs Mechanoid Press uh-huh and it sounds like the kind of thing he'd be interested in publishing because he he publishes uh he publishes pulp mostly you know uh-huh. sci- sci-fi pulp uh uh but uh you know depending on the tone of it it's something he might be interested in
3: yeah i i, I uh, I have this very kind of specific kind of feel for for what I want to want to do with this series of of short stories. Is, um, there was uh, a uh, author of horror novels whenever I was coming up through high school and uh, in, in, in the college uh, a fellow by the name of Charles Grant and he had created a town called Ox Run Station. And so it was kind of the same kind of idea is that that there are all these different horror stories set in this this one particular town, which, of course, uh, again, that's nothing new. You go back to Lovecraft and Arkham and, and all this kind of thing. Uh But there was a specific kind of tone and a feel to the uh, to the way that Charles Grant uh did Ox Run Station. That's really kind of a big influence on me and sort of how I'm mythologizing my own hometown. Um Obviously, I'm doing a few things. I'm I'm changing the name of the town to Adams, which was actually the original name of the town before Charles Page came in and renamed it. Um, And so it's kind of an alternative dark ride version of my hometown (laughs) Uh, uh, because there are going to be some people that are probably going to get their nose in a twist about various things. And so some of that's a CYA. So also it allows me to alter whatever facts I want to. <laughs> um Good. Uh, to kind of mm-hmm. suit my oh, yeah, to,
1: yeah. Uh, and it, you need that you need that extra room to you know yeah. to have that creative license,
3: yeah, and so it's so I think that that way uh, uh i I think that, that it allows me to kind of build the city up however I want to mm-hmm. um, one of the other things about it is that each one of the short stories I write is actually going to be built or uh, be written in a different time period in my town's district um <clears throat> so going back to uh, the Native Americans that are there, and uh, go, you know coming all the way up to uh, ultimately to to a story in our uh, uh, in, to, to right now and so uh, that 's another thing that I want to kind of explore is is uh, looking at this town and you see how I might make kind of a subtle reference to something that happened over here uh, in, in the short story, and so later on i 'll write another short story and said, "Oh, this is why that building's burnt down."
1: Yeah. yeah, got it. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and, and it that together. kind of
3: fun stuff. So you see all these kind of little. So you know, it, it's it's kind of my own little private shared universe. Uh, but but you know, it's it's uh, this haunted town that that I
1: come from. I so. I look it explains for, a lot about you. Oh yeah, I look forward to I look forward <laughs> to reading this collection of stories. Uh, this sounds absolutely fascinating, ladies and gentlemen. We have been speaking with Neil Halford. Uh, he is a science fiction and fantasy writer and a uh, game designer of of uh, historic note uh, wrote betrayal at crondor which these days is uh is an open source there's an open source version of it uh, and you can find it on various linux distributions i mean this is fascinating stuff neil halford is a fascinating man with a great many talents and uh we look forward to having you on the show um again real soon I will be glad to come back. Thank you very much for for being with us. And thank you, guys.
0: You have been listening to Episode 155 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for December 3rd, 2016, with your hosts, Susan Fox and Gene Turnbow. Our guest this evening has been writer, filmmaker, and game designer, Neil Halford. It will air two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday morning at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the air times have passed, you will find this episode's and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is substantially listener-supported, and if you enjoy hearing the event horizon each week, please consider becoming a patron. Just go to Patreon.com slash kryptonradio and consider a donation of $10 a month. If you are an artist, writer, actor or other creator and you would like to appear as a guest on The Event Horizon, please contact our production manager. Her name is Kat Carter, and you can reach her at katcarter at kryptonradio.com. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was played by Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was voiced by Christine Cherry. And Leslie, the ship's captain's voice was supplied by legendary science fiction writer, Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2016 by the Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi. For your Wi-Fi.